Well, good morning, guys. Thank you so much uh, for uh, being here with me. My name is Thomas Costello. I'm super honored to be able to be with you guys this morning here. Uh, excited to share a word with you. Let me just say first that I absolutely love your pastors here at New Hope Community Church, uh, John and Renee. You guys have you guys have awesome pastors. I want to let you know that. I uh, I actually knew them 20 years ago. I went to Bible college with John and Renee in Los Angeles area. And uh, they're just awesome people. I didn't know them really well back then, uh, but it's been really great to get to know them. You guys have an amazing Bible teacher as a pastor. Uh, you also have a, a world-class worship leader in Renee, and just awesome, awesome family. I'm super thankful to be here. I want to share a little bit today. Uh, again, my name is Thomas. Uh, I'm uh, here. Uh, I was pastoring up on the mainland up until a couple years ago, and we moved back to Hawaii in 2019, and I'm super thankful um, to be able to come and share the word with you guys this morning. Uh, so uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 is what I want to share from today. Uh, and the theme of the message is about putting Jesus first in our lives. Um, if Jesus really has that first place. And we're going to look at four different encounters that Jesus has uh, and places where he encounters people that ask him questions about, can I put this first and then have God at this place in my life? Can I have this area uh, come first for me, and then you, Jesus? So we're going to dig into the Word, and I see four different encounters we're going to look at here today. So let's do this as we start. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, we'll ask God to come in and speak to us, and we'll see what He has to say to us this morning. Father, we thank You so much for this chance to come before You uh, and hear from Your Word. We remember that this is not, uh, may, may this not be my words, may it be your words only. We remember that these words, though written 2,000 years ago, have a powerful application and a meaning to our life here 2,000 years in the future. So would you help us to unpack that, to rightly divide it, to learn from you, and would we hear from your voice today, Holy Spirit? Teach us from your word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's dig in here. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. Um, if you want to open your Bible, you can. If you want to pull it up on your phone, that's fine too. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 is where we're going to start here this morning. Uh, and here's what it says. Uh, is It says, At the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Note that word, resolutely. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire and call it down from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went on to another village. And we'll stop there for just a second. It, we're taking up the, the passage of Scripture here. It's, it's right when Jesus' ministry starts to change a little bit. So for the first nine chapters of Luke, Jesus is doing ministry all around his hometown. So we have the beginning where it talks about his genealogy. It talks about him uh, going to Bethlehem in his birth. And then it, all of the ministry takes place up in Galilee around Nazareth. And, and it's kind of a transition point in Luke chapter 9 where he, it says that he starts to set out towards Jerusalem because he knows what's coming. We all know that what happens to Jesus is that he is uh, ultimately he dies on the cross for us and that takes place in Jerusalem. He knew what was coming and he starts to turn his eyes towards Jerusalem. But what a lot of us might miss in this passage right here 
is that word resolutely is a clue for us, is that it says that he, he went there, and I guess you have to ask, why does it say resolutely? Well, why does it say that he went, not just that he went to Jerusalem, but he set out resolutely? It's because a good, a good Jewish person, they would have understood what this meant here. When it says resolutely, what it's talking about is the idea that good Jewish people were not supposed to go directly ever from Galilee down to Jerusalem because there was this little problem right in between the two was this place called Samaria. There's Galilee in the north, Samaria in between, and Jerusalem and Judea down there, that's in the south there. So if you were to go resolutely, you would go directly through Samaria. Now, a good Jewish person at the time, they would be walking all the way around. It would add almost two days to the journey is they would go around Samaria to get to Jerusalem because good Jewish people never went to Samaria. Now, we don't know a lot about Samaritans in our data, most of us at least. What we think of Samaria or Samaritans is we know one, right? We know the good Samaritan. That's the one that we've all heard of. That's the story that Jesus tells. It's not a real story. It's a parable that he tells about um, all these people that wouldn't help a hurt person. But the Samaritan, this person that was supposed to be hated, that was the one person that helped the person that was injured there. And Jesus tells that story. That's the Samaritans we all know. But for us, I think it's important, and, and I know you guys probably know a lot of this because, again, you have a great pastor in Pastor John, and I'm sure he helps you guys. I'm sure he's teaching the Word all the time and really gets into this. But I want to take a second to talk a little bit about where these Samaritans came from because it helps us to understand what Jesus had, is, what he's getting at in this passage right here. So Samaritans, this division between the Jewish people or the people of Judah and the Samaritans, it, comes, it goes back about 700 years. You'll remember even before that, there was a unified kingdom that was ruled by Saul and then by David and then by David's son, Solomon. We know these people from, uh, from the, the Old Testament. We read about them there. And then things really started to fall apart for Israel and Judah. Israel got divided at that point into two different nations. So there was the nation on the top, which was known as Israel. That was 10 of the tribes. And then there was a nation on the bottom that was known as Judah, which is, consists of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. So these two people, they started to disagree. And for hundreds of years, there was this tension between them. They had good kings, they had bad kings, but there was this divided kingdom until the year 700 BC, when the Assyrians came in and they took over the 10 tribes on the top, the nation of Israel, and they took them off into captivity. And then 150 years after that, the, the, southern, the southern nation of Judah, they held strong until 150 later when the Babylonians came and took them off into captivity. And that's where the division started. And then in captivity, they were very different. The, the northern tribes, Israel, they really started to intermingle and intermarry uh, with a lot of the, their captors, the Assyrians. Then they took, were took over by the Babylonians. Whereas the people of Judah, they were much more likely to stay strong and committed to their, to their core, and to the, their, their principles and their beliefs. And to that day, there was this big wedge that was between these two people. There was the, the Samaritans and the tribe of Judah, which is where we get the word Jewish people. That's where we hear uh, the term Jewish comes from Judah. So here we have this division that is, is hundreds of years in the making, and it's still going on in this day and age here. And what I want you to see in this passage as we look at it, it's really interesting. You notice that the people of Samaria, they were, they were it sounds like they were open to welcoming Jesus, but it says in verse 53, it says the people there did not welcome him. And why does it say that? 
It says, because he was heading for Jerusalem. You see, for a Samaritan, they had this idea that when the Messiah comes, he was not going to go to Jerusalem because they kind of changed their beliefs and said that instead it was actually Samaria. That was the, that was the, the new Jerusalem. That was going to be the new place. That's where God's capital was, was going to be Samaria. They didn't believe that where um, Moses was given the Ten Commandments, we know it to be Mount Sinai. Well, for Samaritans, they changed it and they made it seem like it was going to be Mount Gerizim, which is in the, Sarah, which is in the Samaria region. Region there. So there was this deep division. And what we see in scripture is that this is something that continues on. And Jesus is kind of, he's, he's pushing back on this a little bit. What I see them saying is they're basically telling Jesus that we're willing to welcome you. You can, you can absolutely come into Samaria. We'll welcome you. Now, remember Jesus is traveling with a big posse. There's probably 40 or 50 people. We read about the disciples a lot, but we also see that there were women and there were other people that were tagging along with Jesus coming into these little small towns that would have been in Samaria. And they seem to be saying, were, it, were you actually heading for Samaria and not for Jerusalem? We'd be happy to welcome you. And it's almost as if they're saying that we, we want Jesus to be here, but we just want him to embrace our identity or, or what we believe, or our faction, they were willing to accept Jesus if, they, if, if Jesus was willing to say, yes, that's good. And how often do we do these kinds of things in our own life? How common is it, uh, is it for us to, to, to say that, yes, I'm willing to accept and follow Jesus so long as he will embrace my identity, he'll embrace my politics, those kinds of things. Now, I don't know if I need to tell you this or not, but we're pretty politically divided right now. And I'm not here to get into this. I didn't ask John permission if I could talk about politics or anything like that, and I'm not going to. That's always been my MO is to not be political. But my question for you, I guess, in this is, what comes first for you? I, I pastored a church and I, I know I was in a very, um, a, a community that was very divided politically. We had very conservative and very liberal people that were a part of our church. And that was something that we had to deal with all the time. I would get these kinds of conversations and say, I'm willing to be a part of this church and I want to join your family so long as you're willing to speak out against this, this political candidate, or as long as you're able to say that you're going to embrace people that are of this persuasion or this identity. And the question really becomes, are we willing to put God's identity, our identity in Jesus, are we, able to, are we willing to rank that first? That's a question I guess I have for you this morning is, does your identity in Christ stand above your identity as a Democrat or as a Republican or as a Trump supporter or as a Biden supporter or as uh, someone who is, uh, who is what, it doesn't have to be political. It can be something, your marital status or your racial background or anything. Does God come first? Does your relationship with Jesus, does it outrank all of the other identities you can have? That's what Jesus is getting at with these Samaritans here. But what I love, here's, here's what's funny, I think, to me, is the disciples' reaction is classic, right? They say, Jesus, uh, when the disciples, uh, they saw, James and John, they saw this, they asked the Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Is that, is that what you want us to do? Jesus, it's as if they don't even know anything about Jesus or his character, right? It's like they've never spent any time with him. And that's what they ask him if they want him to do. It, and I love Jesus' response is that he just rebukes them right there. Because I, I feel like it's, it's something that maybe we do this. It's, we're like the disciples. We say, you, you might hear what I'm saying right now about putting Jesus first above your politics. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that's right. Those Democrats need to do that. 
Those guys, really, or those Republicans or those Trumpers, man, they really need to put Jesus in front of that. We, it's easy to think like James and John did and say, that's right, other people really need to do this. Now, obviously not me. I, that's not for, for me to do, but this is for other people to put Jesus first. But really, Jesus always wants us to apply the principles he's teaching us to ourselves first. So that's my question for you this morning as we start is, what identity rivals Jesus in your life? Where, where, does, where is Jesus competing on the throne in your life with your identity? Is there any place in your life that you'll say, yeah, I really love Jesus, but I'm not quite willing to, to give up this part of my identity in order to follow him? What, what is that thing that you hold on to in your own life? That's the first question I have for you today. Let's continue on. Second question, I'll tell you what it is ahead of time. It's Jesus needs to come before our comfort. The first one is he comes before our identity. Second one is Jesus comes before our comfort. We'll read on. Verse 57, here's what it says. So he's, he's deciding he's going to go through Samaria. He's going to go through a different village. Uh, and the first person he encounters, it says this in 57. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. It's an interesting response from Jesus. I, when I pastored a church, and I imagine this church is the same, when, when someone comes for the first time or maybe they respond and say, I want to say, say yes to Jesus, my response is very different from how Jesus just responded to this man. You know, at, at our church that I was at last where I was pastoring, we, we, someone came to me and said, hey, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to follow Jesus. Let's go. I would say, that is, that is fantastic. Here, actually, let me give you a Bible. I want to give you that. And then, actually, I have a, a coffee mug for you, and, and I, I have some chocolates that we put in there for you. You can have that, too. And I'm going to actually send you a card, and it's going to have a, a note from me, and there's going to be a gift card in there for some coffee. We just want to bless you and do nice things. And then, actually, in two weeks, we have a, a starting point class where you can learn more about the church, and we're actually going to buy a big lunch for everybody, and we'll feed you, and yeah, I, I almost try to, to buy people with food, it seems like, sometimes when it comes to in, introducing them to our church and to what Jesus is doing. But, man, is Jesus' response different or what? what <laughs> he says to this guy, he says, hey, I want to follow you. Yes, I'm in. And Jesus says, oh, oh, cool your jets. Hang on for a second. You need to understand that following me, I'm not going to even have a, a place to lay my head. I'm going to be like birds and foxes are going to have more comfort in their life then you will if you say yes to following me. That's what Jesus' response is to this man that says, I want to follow him. He, instead of talk, talking about how easy it's going to be, he talks about how uncomfortable it's going to be to follow him. And what he's saying in this is that will you, if you want to follow me, you need to be willing to put me, Jesus, in front of your own comfort, in front of the comfort that you have there. And I think that's so important. Now, what this isn't, I think we oftentimes teach the opposite of this, right? There's so many people that, that would teach a, a, like what we'd call a prosperity gospel. That is not this church. I know that about New Hope and what you guys teach here, that it is not a prosperity kind of a message. That's a message that says that if you follow Jesus and you give, then everything will be poured out. You'll be rich beyond your wildest dreams. If you follow those things, you can step out and, and God will make you rich. And who doesn't love that kind of a message, right? That we could follow Santa Claus and he would make us rich beyond our wildest dreams. That sounds great. I actually, uh, I run a business uh, and we do 
Uh, we do marketing things for churches. We help them with websites and search engine marketing and some of that kind of stuff. And we have all kinds of people all over the country and world, really, that reach out to us. And just the other day, we had a, a gentleman reach out to us, and I won't talk about the name of the ministry or anything, but he, far as I could tell, the, the crux of his ministry, it wasn't a church, but like a one of those ministries that used to be on TV late at night, if you know what I mean, but now they're probably more on YouTube and digital channels. But the crux of his ministry, as far as I could tell, was that he prayed over little vials of oil, uh, and then he uh, called these oils tenfold oils, uh, and it could be yours for a small seed, is what they call it. You can sow a seed of only $100 a month, and one of these vials of tenfold oil could be yours. And I guess in theory what the oil is purported to do is you rub it on stuff you want to see 10 of, and then you get it. And so they had testimonies of people that rubbed this oil on their paycheck, and they got 10 times as much money. I don't know if it works for cars or houses or how any of that works. Obviously, we didn't work with this uh, this gentleman here. Uh, and... This is the kind of thing that you see a lot of times in, in the church is that we kind of twist this message. It seems like Jesus is saying the exact opposite. Uh, you don't see anywhere in scripture it taught that if you give or if you live for Jesus, you will be rich. That's just not something that we see in scripture. In, in fact, we see really the exact opposite. We see that as we follow Jesus, there is a high likelihood that it will cost us a lot and it'll at a minimum be times where we will become uncomfortable. So that's my question I guess I have for you is, does your comfort, does it rival Jesus on a throne for your life? Like who sits on the throne? Is it your own comfort? Is it things that, is it your own kind of the, the things that make you comfortable, the things that you want to do, the things that you like in your life, do they come first or is Jesus really the first? Because there will be times if you are in the life of a Christ follower where if you're following him, it will cost you something. Uh, and it will be uncomfortable at times to do that. So my question is, what is that thing that maybe you're holding back from God because it, it makes you comfortable the way that you are right now? And maybe if you can just get over that hump, then you'll put Jesus first. God's calling us to put that thing aside and even let our comfort go. Now, the nice thing to know again is that I look around as I see um, as I see churches, and I I've met many of you from this church before. Most of you look like you're living better than foxes and birds. You know, you look like you have more clothes, you have a better place to live. I, I'm thankful for that, and I think I'm thankful that we live in a place where our comfort, uh, we still live relatively comfortable lives, and it's easy to compare again and say that person's more comfortable than me, or if I only had a house in Portlock, then I'd be comfortable, or whatever that thing is for you. But what Jesus would say is that, would you be willing to sacrifice your own comfort for his purposes? Third thing, let's read on. And, and the, the third point I want you to know is that Jesus needs to come before your security. Jesus needs to come before your own security. Here's what it says. And this is, this is crazy talk when you look at what Jesus says here. Verse 59, it says, He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, the, the other man says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That, that's a hard word from Jesus, right? That's a pretty hard thing for Jesus to say. Could, could you imagine if you, you lost your father and you came to Pastor John and you looked at him and you said, hey, John, I, I just lost my dad and, uh, you know, I'm... I'm really mourning, and I'm not going to be able to come and, and set up for church half an hour early this week. Um, I hope that's okay with you. And John looked at you and said, well, 
your dad's dead. Let the dead bury their own dead, and you got to get here and serve Jesus, right? That's nuts, right? And, and it seems so strange because it seems like it's everything against what we know about Jesus's character. What person in their right mind, when their father just died, would say, forget it, stop complaining, get on there and start working for the kingdom again? That, that's spiritual abuse is what it sounds like, but I think it's because we totally misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. When he says, let the dead bury their own dead, this is really a euphemism. What this man is asking when he says, hey, let me go and bury my father, what he's, what he's probably asking is something more like, hey, Jesus, my dad is, is middle-aged and will be dying sometime in the future. This guy, you know, like most of Jesus' followers, were really young, maybe in their teens, maybe in their 20s. Uh, Jesus was mostly reaching people in that age group. And so here we see that he is instead, he is, he's not necessarily uh, asking Jesus, hey, can I, can I go and bury my dead father? He's saying, can I live out the rest of my days with my father? Like a good Jewish boy, he had a responsibility to go and to serve and take care of his mom and dad. That's what we see in the commandments, right? We're called to honor our father and mother. And so that's what he's, he's asking Jesus. He says, can I, can I stay with my parents and then you know, take care of them and, and kind of see out their lives and listen and get their inheritance. And then once I have that inheritance, all my, my stuff, all my responsibilities, all my needs, I have a home that I inherit, the finances of my dad. When I get all that, then I want to follow you, Jesus. That's really what the request is more like. He's saying, can I work out my own security? And once I have all those things dialed in, then can I follow you? And how often do we do those kinds of things in our lives? I think about this, and, and you don't have to, you know, if you're watching this with someone else, you don't need to acknowledge this, but if you're anything like me, you have probably tried and failed and tried at diets before, right? You've, you've tried to lose some weight, and usually the way it goes for me is I, I try the diet, and I usually am able to knock off a handful of pounds, 10 or 15, but then I kind of lose momentum. But here's one of my, my big things when I, when I try to lose some weight, is that I always, I'm really bad at starting. Right? What I always seem to say is that, you know what, I, I am going to lose some weight. I'm going to diet. I'm going to knock off some of these pounds, and I'm going to start on January 1st, but not today. Today, I'm getting all my eating in. Today, I'm going to do what I do. I want to eat. That's how I roll. Or I am going to start next week, Wednesday, because that's the, the first, whatever the time it is, it's always easiest to start diets, not right now, but in the future, because right now we have eating plans, and I want to do it, and that's what I want to do. And, and, and that's kind of the way that it works here with, with our faith in a lot of ways, is that some people, as a pastor, I've heard this many times, will hear things where people will say, I want to follow Jesus. I am in. I am in on the Jesus train. But I, I'm in college right now, and yeah, I think I, I want to have kind of this season for me. I want to do my thing for a while and, and kind of enjoy that. But then after college, I'm going to settle down and then Jesus all the way. That's my Jesus season, right? Right then, but just not right now. Or one I hear quite a bit was, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus when we have kids. You know, so right now, my, my, my husband and I or my wife and I, we're going, to, we're going to enjoy our time together. We're going to travel a lot and not really, we're going to do it more for us. But really, we think it's important when people settle down and for kids to have a church home and to, to have a place where they really fall in love with Jesus. So when we get there, then we're going to follow Jesus. Maybe it's not even about when you choose to follow Jesus, but how you follow Jesus. Maybe you've said this one before. 
I really, I believe in generosity. Like generosity is super important to me. I wanna be a super giving person and I am going to do that as soon as I get that promotion. Like when I get a promotion at work, I, I think it's close. It's like maybe six to 18 months from now, I should have like a 15% raise and that will allow me to be so generous. I am gonna be giving away so much. I'm gonna be giving away finances and things. I'm gonna be a super generous person, but but for right now, I really need to kind of batten the hatches, hold on to what I have and, and kind of do it for me here right now. See, this is what Jesus is coming against is he's saying that you cannot have me on the throne and then still put your own security above that. You cannot say, I am going to follow you in the future, but for right now, I need to take care of myself. Jesus, he, he does not allow that kind of relationship for us. He, he loves you still. It doesn't change that. But he doesn't invite us into a relationship where he comes second or he comes after your security. That's what he's saying at in this here. That, that's the, the message is that Jesus has to come before our own security. And then the last thing is that Jesus needs to come before our reputation. Jesus comes before our reputation. Here's what it says. We'll finish with these verses. It says in 61, it says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family real quick. Jesus replied, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's another one that's pretty hard from G for Jesus, right? He's, he, he, this, it seems like a really reasonable request is that I want to follow you, Jesus. Can I just go and say goodbye to my mom and dad real quick? Or can I say my brother is right over there? Can I just tell him what I'm doing at least and then say bye and then go and follow you and, and head on our way down to Jerusalem together? I'm going to, I have to leave them. I'm not going to see them for a while. So let me just say ta-ta for now at least. And, and, and at first reading, I think that is scary. And this is something that cults have used and, and people that try to, to take advantage of people and spiritual abuse, they use these verses like this one and then the let the dead bury their own dead. They'll say that, well, Jesus seems to say that, that you can't even say goodbye to your family. You just got to take off. Don't even let them know where you went because what cults and what the enemy really tries to do is tries to, to isolate us. His strategy is isolate and annihilate. That's what he wants to do is get us by ourselves and then he can take advantage of us. And so people have used this first, but that's not what Jesus is saying. He's, he's not against, against us saying goodbye to our mom and dad and our family when we follow him. In fact, I believe in most cases, he wants to send us as missionaries to our families to be, uh, to be his light in those kinds of situations. And that's what he's getting at with this is that he's, he's, he's kind of coming against not saying goodbye, but maybe the idea that we're going to talk to mom and dad or brother or people that are close to us in order to say goodbye, explain what we're doing, and get their approval before I say yes. And that's what he's coming against. He's coming against us having to have the approval of people that are important in our lives, our reputation. We want these people, maybe it's mom or dad or, or friends or coworkers or uh, old friends, whoever it is, we want them to think well of us. We want them to be really stoked on who we are. And so I'm going to follow Jesus as long as I can still keep my reputation and make sure everybody in my life really likes me a lot. And this is really flawed thinking, because think about it. When you follow Jesus, there's going to be some things that people like more about you, right? There's going to be, a, they're going to love, if you're following Jesus and you're generous like Jesus was, they're going to love that. They're going to love the way you're giving them money all the time and doing nice things and serving them. And you're always the guy with the truck who's going to come there and help them move. And that's the cool thing about Jesus. But 
in most cases, if someone's really close to you and you decide, I'm going to start putting Jesus first in my life, it should change your life and that's going to have an effect on their life. So we shouldn't go to them seeking their approval for decisions that we need to make about following Jesus. So if you're someone that used to be the life of the party, you were a total party guy, you loved to go out and, and get wasted all the time, and all your friends loved that, and you guys all did that together, and Jesus comes into your life, and he, he, you have some conviction about that, and you start to, to think about it and decide, I'm not going to do, I can't get wasted anymore, I'm following Jesus now. Well, you better expect that all your buddies that used to do that with you are going to feel like, well, that guy's kind of changed. He's not really the same. You're gonna, your reputation's going to take a hit. Or... If you're, in a, in a, if you're living with someone, you're a gal and you're living with someone and you're not married to him yet uh, and you come to him and you say, you know what, I, I want to talk to you about something. I've decided I'm going to follow Jesus. And so this arrangement we have where we live together and sleep together but we're not married, that, that just can't happen anymore. You're foolish to think that that man is going to say, that's awesome. Let's do that. No, he's going to be disappointed by that news, right? That, that his, his free sex situation that he has going on is going to come to an end. Well, in reality, this is what Jesus is calling us to, is that if we're going to follow him, we cannot be concerned with what other people, especially those that don't know Jesus, what they think about our decision to follow him. And this is really that message here, is if we look for approval from people outside of the kingdom, or especially if we look for approval from anybody but Jesus in our reputation, we're going to be really wanting in that way. And that's my question I guess I have for you as we kind of close this morning is what is that rival on the throne of your life to Jesus? I don't know what it is. I know that I have probably all of these in my life that, that Jesus competes in all of these areas. I know like everybody else, I have identities that I pursue for myself or things that I believe or I, we all have politics that we believe, but does Jesus come first? Are you a Republican and then a Christ follower or are you a Democrat and then a Christ follower or is Jesus first in your life? Do you feel like your comfort level, is, is comfort something that you struggle with that I, I want to follow Jesus, but, but if I have to be poor uh, and, and I have to live like in a way that if it costs me a lot, then it's going to be really hard for me to do so. Is that a struggle for you? Or maybe it's your own, your own situation with your security. Maybe it's, it's this idea that you have this, this, it's a security thing where you want to follow Jesus, but I'm, I'm going to follow him better in the future. Well, you and I all know that that future time tomorrow, that never comes. There's never going to be a time where you're going to have better willpower or more desire or you'll be better at following Jesus than, than right now is the time to decide that. Or your reputation is what other people, is what mom and dad or our kids or what our friends or our brothers or sisters or whoever it is, is what they think about me more important than having Jesus on the throne of my life. I want to leave you with that question here today and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. And I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us and you would, you would bring forth conviction where it needs to be this morning. Would you open up our hearts and, and, and help us to, to deal with those things? If there are rivals to the throne in your life that is in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name you would, you would reveal those to us and give us the courage to do something about those, those rival thrones that are in our life, God. I thank you so much that you love us even when we put you second, that you still love us and you still call to us and you still desire relationship with us. And God, I just pray that you would help us to 
move you higher and higher and higher and ultimately to the very top of the throne in our lives. Would you help us to do that in Jesus' name?